We don't all have to face um, the kind of trial, really, or that, that Tanya has to go through necessarily. Um, if we do, God, as we've seen for her, gives us the grace to, do, to, to, to walk it. Um, but fear is a, a very big and real thing that can actually impact us in, in all parts of our lives, and sometimes very unexpectedly. And uh, a little while ago, when Sue's mum was quite ill, still alive, we were, um, Sue was at home and she was quite stressed out by, it was, been, it was quite a stressful time and dealing with it. And, and I felt we need to go out, we need to get out. And uh, so let's go for a walk. So we got in the car and we drove up the road and we got actually to a new road. <laughs> okay. When we go for a walk, we go like to get out of round here. Walk, walk, you can't walk around here, can you? We can. We can walk down our street. But uh, we got in a car to go for a walk. And uh, we t- turned up New Road and uh, it was a car coming the other way and I thought he was going to pull over and he didn't quite pull over. And I, to avoid him, I went to the left and I clipped the wing mirror over the car that was a car that was parked, smashed the glass on mine. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you know, I didn't stop. And I didn't stop because... Now, the question is, why didn't I stop? And I thought, I was sitting there thinking, Sue was was stressed, she's fearful. And I was fearful because she was fearful. And instead of doing the thing, which I know is God's standard, what God would have me do, I kept going. And we did actually go around again. But when I got to the top of that road, I thought, what happened there? Why have I not done the very thing? I teach integrity on the foundation course. You know. um, Claudia and Augusto spent time with us, and the thing they've seen is integrity. And here I am driving down the road, and not in integrity, I'm not stopping. And it really troubled me that there was something in me that at that point of crisis would actually not respond rightly, the godly way, I fell short of God's standard. And the thing about fear, we might have good intentions and we may set out to do the thing God wants us to do. But the thing about fear, it actually causes us not to come up, to fall short of the standard God has for us. We don't actually, we can set off but not actually make it. And, and, and it's a weapon the enemy uses against us, but it's also one that God can use and deal with in a way that just in our weakness, his strength is revealed. And what I'm going to do this morning is just look at how um, Simon Peter walked through this thing of, of, of how Jesus delivered him from fear to a place of boldness and confidence. And how out of that, we too, I'm trusting, can come into a new place of boldness in terms of what God's call, who God's calling us to be, so we don't miss the standard that God has for us to reach. Um, we'll start by looking at, I mean, Matthew 14, verse 22-33. Now, I couldn't find the Lego video, unfortunately, um, but uh, <laughs> um, I found this one, if we could have the lights down. And there's some questions there for you to be thinking about. Um, this is quite a nice rendition of this story. Don't be afraid. 
questions there very quickly person next to you talk to the person next to you <laughs> I wasn't making an observation Okay, not very long, I know, but let's get some quick feedback. Um, any thoughts? Why did Simon Peter... Um, why was it only Peter that got out of the boat? Anybody? Yes. He was the most impetuous. Yeah, okay, he was the most impetuous. Why didn't the others get out of the boat? Pardon? They were fearful. Yeah, they, they were fearful enough to go to the boat. And um, when I was talking to Sue about it in the car yesterday, she said, but, but Peter did make it because he got out of the boat. But actually, another, he didn't actually make it because he didn't actually get to where Jesus called him to go. Jesus said, come to me. And he didn't get that far. He was defeated on the way. Um, what caused him to sink? Well, we just answered that question, but someone else can tell me the answer. Lack of faith. Yeah, lack of faith caused him to sink. He was in fear. And, and how did Jesus react? Harshly. Pardon? I think he was harsh. Harsh. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only one that did it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Everybody agree with that? He was harsh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, his words were harsh, I, I would say. But his action was not harsh, because actually, he, he, so he wasn't harsh in his action, although he was harsh. So actually, it matters. You know, it, it, but when we, we, it actually matters that we fall short. If we get into fear, it's, it's there, there, it doesn't matter. It actually matters. Um, but Jesus was there. He still cares. He still loves us. He still rescues us. Um, but it did have an impact. It actually mattered. Okay. There was certain... Yes, I've got a question. One more thing was that because of that, Peter was able to say, you're true, Yeah, 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 we recognise. Good. Yeah. 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 Ye
good point. Good point. Supplementary revelation. Yeah, that actually gave him something extra because it helped him to recognize his weakness, but actually Jesus' strength and who Jesus actually was. Um, second incident, um, which was a bit more dramatic, is, um, happened in, um, in John. Now, there was a time when Simon Peter, this is back in John 13, um, Jesus was with Simon Peter, and Jesus said to him, Lord, Peter said to Jesus, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later, Jesus said. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really down your, lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So Peter again, still in that place of declaring, I will do anything for you, God, anything for you, Jesus. Um, but what actually happened was that Jesus said, no, you won't, and this is what's going to happen. And um, we've got a little sketch just showing you actually what happened. I've told you I'm not one of his followers. Okay, I was hoping for some sound effects of a cock crying. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. So, he failed again. At that point of, of, of where he was coming in before, you know, pursuing Jesus, he failed again. Some more questions. Why do you think Peter followed Jesus to the courtyard? What caused Peter to fail? And how did Jesus react? Do you think? Yep, discuss. Why, why do you think Peter followed Jesus to the courtyard? Someone over this side this time. Hmm? He loved Jesus. Yes. So he did love him. So there was a genuine desire to be with Jesus. He cared about Jesus. It actually mattered um, to him what was happening to Jesus. So, so he wasn't like he was just curious. He, had, he really wanted to be there. Yeah? Um, 
What caused him to fail then? Sorry. Sorry, go on. Yeah. I think he loved him too. I think he was also a bit fearful that his plan to get Jesus to be king was being messed up. Okay. Because when he was betrayed, of course, Peter wanted was the one who fought with guards. So there was a bit of personal ambition there that wasn't. Well, what, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's Curious. Yeah. Yeah, but wanted to be there. Okay. Yes, Moses. Okay, so he was going to. I was fulfilling his commitment. I will follow Jesus because I said I would. Even though he's trouble, I will stay with him. So actually, he was trying to fulfil the thing that, that Jesus has said. Yes, he said. Okay, so we're moving on to the next question. Yeah, he failed because he was totally confused. Any other thoughts why he, was, why he failed? Yeah? Like with the waves, he saw how big the waves were, and it caused him to sink. He saw Jesus being beaten and thought, yeah, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, yeah. It's a reality. Yeah, so, so it brings a kind of fear. I, I, I'll tell you a story a bit later, but when you see Tanya's situation, that can bring fear. could happen to me. And, and, and that sense of when you see a situation, um, well, it's the fear of looking at that circumstance that causes us to, to be fearful that we might fail. I, I think, again, I mean, there was a fear thing that was operating here, again. There was confusion, there was fear. Um, so at the point of... He'd already put himself in a position, he wanted to be there, but when he came to it, he just couldn't do it. And, and he, he, he behaved, he veered off. In, in the wrong direction, just like me when I didn't stop, <laughs> I hit the, uh, hit the mirror. And just at that point, you veer off in the wrong direction. How did Jesus react? We didn't actually see any much reaction to Jesus in that sketch, did we? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're coming to that bit. That's still my thunder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, later on he does. At that time, I think Jesus just looked at him, it says. He just looked at him and said, Peter, you know, it's kind of with a sadness, you know, you said this. And, and, and so how were Peter feeling at that point? He's just feeling, he's just let down. He's, not only has he fallen down on his promise, but he's actually let down his best friend, the person he admired the most, the person he put himself out for, and suddenly the sense of condemnation and fear would have been absolutely enormous. You know, what would you do with yourself in that situation? However, we read on later um, in Acts, this happens. I'm going to read this story to you. That's the one. Um, when Peter and John were addressing the people, just a little background, they just, Peter and John had come out of the temple and they'd healed the lame man. And, uh, and on the back of this, people thought, this is amazing. So they started to preach the gospel. And the priests and the, chief, and the chiefs of the temple weren't too happy about this. And so this is the follow-up to what happened after they'd prayed for, these, prayed for this man and seen him healed. While Peter and John were addressing the people, the priests, the chief of the temple police, and some Sadducees came up, indignant that these upstart apostles were instructing the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead had taken place in Jesus. They arrested them and threw them in jail until morning. 
for by now it was late in the evening. But many of those who listened had already believed the message. In round numbers, about 5,000, so a bit late, really. Um, the next day, a meeting was called in Jerusalem. The rulers, religious leaders, religion, religion scholars, Annas, the chief priest, Caiaphas, John Alexander, everybody who was anybody was there. They stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and grilled them. Who put you in charge here? What business do you have doing this? With that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Rulers and leaders of the people, if we've been brought for trial today for helping a sick man put under investigation regarding this healing, I'll be completely frank with you, we have nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. Before, he was hiding. Now he has nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one killed on the cross, the one God raised from the dead, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only this one. They couldn't take their eyes off them. Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. What a transformation. Okay, I love that line because it's so different from the rest. It's so different from Peter walking on the water and seeing the waves and, and being in fear. It's so different from him hiding in the temple and, and denying that he knew Jesus. Standing, the, the observation was he was, they were so confident and so sure of themselves. How did he get there? Two things that Jesus did, two incidents, two places, two um, things that happened. First one, he's going to see in my next sketch. John. The background to this story is that uh, they're on the beach and they've been out fishing, the disciples, and uh, they've seen Jesus on the beach and he's cooking breakfast. And uh, they've just, he's just helped them make a massive catch. And Jesus comes to them. And they're on the beach just after breakfast. Jesus is cooking breakfast. Peter, walk with me. I feel like we've been here before. Do you love Yeah, of course I love you. And my sheep. Are you sure that you love me? Yeah, I told you. I, I love you. Leave my lamb. some thought of how Peter was feeling in this situation. Um, he'd not had a conversation with Jesus, proper conversation with Jesus, no evidence of that in the Bible, of since that encounter in the temple, since he denied him. So he didn't know how Jesus was really feeling about him or how Jesus was going to respond to him. So he turns up on the beach not knowing, and, and he'd seen him a couple of times, but there'd been no personal interaction. Suddenly there's this very deep personal interaction between Jesus and Peter. And what Jesus is really doing, I think, here, is he's expressing, it's an encounter of love. He's actually finding out, showing how much he actually loves Jesus. Um, there's an interesting use of words here, because um, 
people, some people probably forgot familiar with this, but there's two words for love which are used here. Jesus uses the word initially, um, agapeo, which means to love dearly, out of deliberate choice. It's a willful choosing. It's to feel better and worse, sickness and health when somebody gets married, you know. It's not a sentimental, I'll only love you as long as you look good, but when you get old, I won't be interested. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's actually a deep, clear choice that I'm going to stick with you. And it's the way God chooses to love us. You know, it's an unconditional love on us. He doesn't, I love you if you behave yourself, but if you don't, then I don't love you. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me in this particular way? Do you choose, are you choosing to love me? And Peter thought, I think, was at a place where he thought he was before, but now he doesn't know anymore. And he knows there's something in him that's stirring towards Jesus. There's, there's, there's something that he feels about Jesus which is, which is affectionate, which cares, that matters. There's something in him, but he can't bring himself to say, no, God, I, I say, Jesus, yeah, I love you unconditionally. I, I love you completely. All he can say is, I'm very fond of you, Jesus, because he responds with the word filio, which is kind of a, it's a sentimental love. So he knew he loved him, but there wasn't that conviction that he could really pursue him and love him. And um, twice Jesus used that same word, and, in, and Peter responded in the same way. And in the end, Jesus responded to Peter, well, are you fond of me, Peter? And uh, Peter says, yeah, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. And I, I think in that, it was saying that Jesus was almost saying, Peter, I understand exactly where you're at. I understand where you're coming from. I understand what's in your heart. And, and, and I think there is a love connection where, the, where, where we first meet with Jesus, where he understands where you're at. He understands where we're coming from. And, and out of that place, Jesus then went another step, because he then says, well, there will come a time when you will give your life for me. It will happen. So actually, Jesus is saying, I can see that actually you do love me unconditionally. I can see more than you can about how much you love me. And I think sometimes we come to Jesus and we're in that place where we know he, care, we, we know he matters and, we, and there's a sentimental care. We, we, you know, we care about him. But we, we don't have that confidence and boldness to say we love him unconditionally. But actually, Jesus can see beyond that. He sees in our hearts. He sees that although what we're expressing is as much as we can express, he can see there's something deeper. He can see that unconditional love, and he will touch something in us which can release that, which is what he did for Peter. He released it in Peter. And before we can overcome fear, the first thing we need to have is a love encounter with Jesus. We have to be in that place where he knows that he loves us. So the bit I'm going on to doesn't work unless we're in that place of, of, of knowing that encounter. And I think there's some people today, actually, that, that need to ask for that. You know, they need that freshness. We need that freshness of that love encounter with Jesus, that freshness of, 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 of hearing his voice, you know, declaring, look, I understand where you're coming from, and I love you, and I love you in it. So that was the first step towards Peter's restoration, to that point of, of boldness, was that place of knowing that, um, that God loved him, that Jesus loved him, and, and, and the place of being released from fear. Um, the second thing that happened was, not that, sorry, you've already done it. <laughs> Sonny's trying to take control, he's already done it. Um, 
is that there's a boldness comes, there was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we do read on in, in Acts that um, the Holy Spirit came, there was tongues of fire. And there was that place of encounter which resulted in the Holy Spirit just coming down upon them. Um, but it's interesting how they got there. Um, they go to the Mount of Olives and Jesus tells them that, that wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come. Um, but they're on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus goes into, he ascends into heaven, and they go to Jerusalem and wait for, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, I was quite interested about this, because when I first read it, it says it's a Sabbath day's journey. So I was going to tell you, having read this, well, that was a day's journey. So to get to the place where we can receive the boldness of the Holy, of what God wants us to, to receive in terms of f- total fullness of boldness, there was a sacrifice we had to make. And there was a big, big step we had to take. But then I looked it up and I thought, oh, why does it say Sabbath day? Silver, do you know? How long is a Sabbath, a Sabbath day's journey? A Sabbath day's journey is about a kilometre. It's about as far as it takes to, um, it's about for me walking from my house to Lifeline House. You know, it's far enough to think about going in the car, but actually um, near enough to walk. And, uh, and it's not, it was only quite a small step. There was an effort, there was, some, there was a decision that has been made, a choice they had to take, but actually it wasn't very far. And, and, and when they went to, um, went to the, uh, to the, to the upper room when they waited and the Holy Spirit came and they got filled with the Holy Spirit and let me see if I can just read, read, read a little bit um, when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they were, where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the second point was the encounter with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing was an encounter with the love. The second point was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. But to get there, they had to make a choice. There had to be an action that they had to take. When I went to um, Zimbabwe a couple of years ago, I went to, uh, on Dulos, to, to teach Dulos. I'd never actually been to Africa on my own. And they'd chosen to send me via Dubai, which I'd never done before, and I had to change planes in Dubai. And I was a little bit nervous about going, I have to confess. And, um, and I thought, you know. Anyway, so, but trusting was what God was calling me to do. And then on the Wednesday, I was going on the Thursday. On the Wednesday, I went to say my goodbyes to my mother and my sister. I didn't even know I was coming back. Um, and uh, we were sitting in this rather nice hotel, having, you know, where you pay £4.50 for a cup of coffee and a biscuit. And, um, and, we, and I was sitting there at the desk, and this text came in from Harriet, who was then doing Naomi's job. Have you heard about the riots in Zimbabwe? And I thought, here's me sitting in my English country garden, feeling very safe and comfortable. And... Uh, I've got to go to Zimbabwe. I'm going to Zimbabwe tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to. And, uh, and I, it actually really, because I've got to say, it shook me. And I remember driving home in the car, I was in Barnet, driving back to here, and I thought, what am I going to do? I don't have to go. It's not, it's not a matter of life and death if I don't go. Um, it really, and by the time I got home, I decided I wasn't going. 
I decided, no, it's, it's just not worth the risk. Okay? I'm not going to go. It's too, it's too scary. And I don't know what's going to happen. Um, background is that we, I was going to stay in Chittangriza, which is the um, and township, big township outside Harare. Last time they have um, riots there, somebody had their throat cut, and uh, the police can't actually handle that situation, um, and they just send the army in, who just go around in the evening and go in everybody's house and beat everybody up. It's what Lawrence told me afterwards. Um, beat everybody up um, so that they can't come out the next day and riot. So um, this is where I was going. <laughs> and um, and I, I thought, well, I suppose I better phone John, because he was sending me. So <laughs> I, I phoned John, and John says, oh, no, those African countries, it always, those, those kind of things always happen. <laughs> but, but, but I said, I said, so I said to him, yeah, but I said, but they've, Mugabe shut down WhatsApp. There's no communication coming out. We don't know what's happening there. So I, I then, uh, we kind of, Sue and I, and we kind of prayed about it, because Sue was going to have to let me go as well. And, and we came to settling. Jamie, Jamie phoned me up and said, look, he's trying to get hold of Lawrence, but he couldn't get hold of him. And, um, and then we prayed about it. And we kind of had a settling that I probably should go, that it was right to go. And then Lawrence phoned the next... Lawrence went out the next morning. And the, on the strength of the fact that Lawrence had driven around the area and decided it was OK, um, we decided that we would go, and I would go. So I do remember that day, it was quite a late flight. I had to get myself to Heathrow, and it was quite a late flight that day. And uh, it was kind of, I had to come to a point where I made a choice. You know, in fear, I didn't have to go. You know, I couldn't have gone. I could have just said, John, John, John can't make me do this. <laughs> you know, this is my choice. And, um, but I decided, no, I need to go. It's right that I should go. And, there was a point, there was one particular point where I took my bag, and I remember checking my bag in and putting my bag on the conveyor belt, and I think, that's it, I'm going. And I, and I got on that plane, not actually knowing. Um, I knew I was then out of communicado, so if, if there'd been a massive riot down there, I wouldn't have known until I got off the plane at the other end in Harare. That was, that was, that was it. I didn't know because what was going to happen. But there was just a settling, it was right. And it was quite interesting. I got on the plane, and God was very good to me, because it never very often happened to me, but there was a space between me and a person next to me. And, um, and I got this real download. There was something that God, I hadn't actually thought about, or we'd not actually planned to share. And God just sort of gave me something to share when I got there, which, and in the, when we got there, it was the time for it to come. But it was a very, there was a choice I had to make. It wasn't a big step, really. All I had, I was already planned to go, but I had to choose, this is the thing, the next thing that God had me to do. And I had to make that choice. And um, if I hadn't gone, I think there would have been a, a reverse consequence. And it, it's, it, it's the small steps that God gives us to take have a big impact. If we just... Um, we'll skip that for a minute. No. Um, in Timothy... It talks about, um, actually, we'll read that verse because I think it's in a well furnished kitchen. I've got a different version up there, so we'll read the one up there. Um, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honourable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for your master to use for every good work. 
Um, the message version <laughs> compares it to a silver platter and a garbage can. Um, I don't think that's a bit strong, but um, it, it kind of it, it gives that impression. And but the message does say, become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his gifts for their blessing. And I think that if we're living in fear, it doesn't prevent God from using us. God will still use us. But we become, we're vessels of everyday use. God will use us. We, you know, we're doing our bit. God will bless us. Um, you know, he still was with Peter in the boat. He blessed him, he took him into the boat. Um, but God wants us to be vessels, and I think, I mean, it's a call on our community to be people for special use. I love that phrase. The kind of container God can use to present every, to present and end every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. But to do that, we need to be a people that are free from fear. And I just have this sense that there are small steps that God is giving people to take here today, which will move them from that place of fear into the place of, of boldness. I, I shared something similar to this with the Doulos last year, and it wasn't kind of an instant come up and respond thing. Lots of them, we, got, we did it in the morning, they had the whole weekend to think about it. And, but I think every single one of them had an action. It was a small thing for some of them, you were there, weren't you? Um, it was a small thing for some of them where they just had to do... For some of them, it was actually a response on the, on the day. You know, there was an action they had to take while we were there of, that would bring them into that place. This is not a, a legalistic thing. It's not a conditional thing. It's something that God has put in our hearts to share. You know, it's something that God has spoken to you about. It's an obedience thing um, which will move us into that place of being able to be free from fear. So there's two things. The first thing is knowing that sense of God's love. And if you don't know that sense of God's love, then the first thing is to, is to come and get prayer that that will be revealed to you. Because that is the first place of where we actually get our freedom from fear. But the second thing is that decision to choose to take that step that God has put in front of you to take, which you're fearful of taking, which will bring you to that place where you can be released from that fear, where he can fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. The download for me came when I was sitting on the plane seat, not while I was in the airport. You know, that's when the revelation came. The knock-on effect of that choice has been enormous. Um, you know, I was in communication with Lawrence now and we're probably going to go back and visit him and, 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 and just the other connections that we've had as a consequence of, of that simple decision. If I'd not gone, I just don't think where I'd be now, you know? I don't think where I'd be now. Um, um, but it, it just put me, in, put, just lifts us into a new position. So my question is, what is it that God's giving you to do which will bring you into that place of obedience, which releases from fear and brings you into that place of, of faith and boldness and able to step in the thing that God has for us to do and God causes us to be. Yeah. Thank you, Richard. I really like that, that almost throwaway comment, the download on the airplane, not in the airport. That's really, really significant, isn't it, that we take that step and God, God makes a way. Um, 
can we have the band up? I'd like to use the song, um, How Great Is Our God, um, to focus on him and allow him to do those things in us um, as, we're, as we're worshiping that Richard suggested. So that's one of allowing his love to come if we don't know it. And there's an opportunity to come and, and um, receive prayer around that as well afterwards. Um, but also that as we worship him and focus on him, that he would reveal to us that decision or step that we should be taking as well.